The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series called Prayer. To find out more information about our church or to find more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. If you're with us last Sunday, we, uh, we began a new series, um, specifically dealing with the topic of prayer. Uh, this is going to be a, a big focus for us in the year of 2017 as a church. Uh, we're doing this because we believe that prayer is vital uh, in the life of a believer, as well as we believe it's vital in the life of a church. To begin 2017, we're looking at uh, two different aspects of prayer. If you were here with us last week, Justin walked through the first one, and it's the idea of the personal or the private uh, aspect of prayer. This is prayer that's done individually. If you missed last week, feel free to go online, and you can listen to it there. Um, just as a plug, all of our sermons that we've ever done here at Stone Oak from our very first Sunday are online. So if you ever want to catch up to, to where we are, if you miss a Sunday, or if you just want to see how our uh, preaching has progressed from the be- very beginning of our time as a church to where we are now, uh, feel free to go back and to listen to those. Uh, today, we're going to look at a different aspect of prayer. So we talked about last week, the personal or the private aspect of prayer. This morning, we're going to look at the corporate aspect of prayer. And to, to better define, I love to begin with definitions, to better define kind of the idea of private versus corporate, I'm going to choose to use two different words to kind of help us understand that. Instead of private and corporate, maybe think of it as internal and external. I'm going to make the argument a little bit later uh, that any prayer that is done externally or spoken out loud has the potential to become a corporate prayer. I'll tell you exactly where I'm going this morning. Uh, If you're a note taker, feel free to write down these notes. We're going to look at three aspects of prayer. We're going to look at prayer is active. We're going to look at prayer is discipleship. And the third point, prayer is reliant. Prayer encompasses all three of these aspects. Prayer is actually a very interesting thing. It can be done really well. Uh, It can be done poorly. It can be very awkward at times. It isn't awkward or poor because of the subject matter or uh, because of the speaker or the receiver of the prayer. It's awkward because we're people and we can be awkward. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been in one of these times of prayer? Um, Typically, they're done in smaller settings, uh, most often in a house or a more intimate type of setting. Uh, And it's given a label. You can call it popcorn prayer. Uh, You can call it feeling uh, led by the spirit times of prayer. Uh, If you're unsure of what I'm talking about, let me give you a quick definition of it. So how this works, or an example of it, how this works is I would begin praying, and I'm going to say, hey, we're going to have a time of prayer, and you can just pray as you feel led. So I'm going to begin. Sometimes I'll tell you who's going to end it. Sometimes I don't. Just keep it a little loosey-goosey on you. But we're all going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. So I'm going to begin. I say my prayer. I finish my prayer. And then we have a time of silence. And somebody else will then pray. And after they're done, we have another little period of silence. And somebody else might step in. And it all continues. The cycle continues until the very last person decides that they're going to pray. And they're going to end our time of prayer. And they usually give it one last hurrah with the Amen. That's how we all know that we're, we're, we're done. Um, if you've ever been in a prayer meeting like this before, they can be great. They can absolutely be great. They are phenomenal. Um, it's one of the, the great things about it is that it's, it's not set. It's not rigid. Uh, there's lots of fluidity within it. However, sometimes they don't function as, as well as we would hope to. 
Um, if I give you an example, in this room, I need us all to count to the number 100. And I'll begin, and everybody can only say one number at once. Ready? One. Okay, you see what? We already ran into a problem. We had the number two about 12 different times in here. That's a lot what it's like whenever we have times of prayer like this. Uh, there's an author named Jonathan Acuff. He's also a speaker. Um, very funny, witty guy. He came up with six people that you meet in prayer circles. So I took his list of six people, and I've, I've kind of reworked it, uh, but I definitely stole it from him. So I'll give him all the credit for it. Here's the six people that you might meet in a prayer circle. Number one, the all-moster. This is the person sitting near you that's currently on the verge of praying. You can hear that, them do that little breath thing, that little inhale before they're about to speak, and you can hear it because it's loud and the deafening silence of a prayer circle. Every time you're about to say your prayer, you hear the almoster, and you stop out of courtesy. And then they don't pray. So then you start again, and the long inhale comes from the almoster. And once again, it's quite a little dance going back and forth. Number two, this is one of my favorite ones, the early ameniter. This is a person that says amen way too early in a prayer circle. The amen is the international sign for my prayer is done, except when you're in a prayer circle. In a prayer circle, the amen has a very different purpose. The amen in a prayer circle means everybody is done praying now, and you have now missed your opportunity to pray. The early ameniter, however, doesn't say amen to end the circle. They say amen because it's a habit that we often fall into of saying amen at the end of a prayer. Everyone else in the group now has to decide, is this the true end amen or is this a casual end of their prayer amen? What I would suggest you do as a rule of thumb, go with a quick peek. If everybody else is quick peeking, it was the end. If not, go back down and act like nothing has happened. Number three, the opener. You might think the closer is the one with all of the power. Don't be misled. The opener is in control. In addition to often choosing the closer, they set the tone for the entire prayer circle. If they go long, people after them are going to go long. If they work in cute little jokes into the opening prayer, people after them are more casual within their prayers. More than that, the opener doesn't need to worry about the closer or fear someone ever cutting them off. They can pray, and then their job is done. They get to relax now. The job is over and done in a matter of seconds. Number four, the rambler. This is the guy or gal that sees the chance to pray in front of people as an open microphone, a chance to not so subtly reference everything they've recently learned during their quiet time in one long, rambling prayer. And there's no way to stop them unless you're married to them. If you are, you can grab their hand and give them the squeeze that says, I love you. You're good at praying, but no one wants to hear about the spiritual mysteries you've uncovered recently. The rambler can also be labeled as the announcer. It's the person who chooses to use prayer as a means to tell you about an upcoming event. Dear God, we want your hand to be all over the potluck dinner that's happening at my house on Wednesday at 7 p.m. where child care is provided and where the gate code has been given to everybody through the Evite. Number five, the cave-in. Deciding not to pray in a prayer circle is like not giving to a love offering. What, you don't have any love in your heart? You, you don't feel led? You're the only person in the room that didn't get led? Maybe we should pray for you instead of doing this prayer circle. <laughs> Expect at least one person to be the cave-in. And number six, the closer. 
Closing a prayer circle is likely like being Spider-Man. It's a gift and a responsibility. <laughs> Although you get to determine when it ends, you also have to monitor the amount of quiet time that signifies everyone is done. Because what you don't want to happen, what the closer feel, fears the most is the onchorist. This is the person that goes after the closer, boldly defying all rules of group prayer. It's an embarrassing situation for a closer, and for a few minutes afterward, it's hard to make eye contact with them. Why is this humorous? It's because we've all been in these situations. Corporate prayer can be done in funny ways at times. One of the things that defines corporate prayer, though, is that other people are involved. I made the statement earlier that I would define it not as private versus corporate, but instead internal versus external. Anytime you speak out loud, there's a potential of someone overhearing the words that you're speaking. This can be your family, this can be your coworkers, this can be your church family, or if you're a prayer yeller, your neighbors. This is a key aspect in corporate prayer. There's the speaker, and there are the listeners. This thing that makes corporate prayer different from the individual or private prayer. In fact, Many times the prayers that we say out loud are much different than the prayers that we pray internally. I know that my prayers in a corporate setting differ tremendously from my prayers said in private. One of the main things that differs between them two is usually my corporate prayers make more sense and are more a logical following. My personal prayers are all over the map. Anytime you're praying out loud, your prayer has the potential of becoming a corporate prayer. These corporate prayers involve many parties. Uh, let's focus first on those that are listening to the prayers. Prayer is worship. Every aspect of worship is active. To say this, though, requires a better understanding of that word, worship. Worship is one of those teams, terms that oftentimes means more than we often think of. What occurs here on Sunday mornings is worship. It's more than the music that we sing. Everything from our prayers to our music to even sermon on Sunday morning is worship. All of these aspects are worship of God and all are based upon the word of God. I say that we've all heard this idea of what actual worship is before, but our language usually hasn't changed. We still divide the morning service into prayer, worship, and preaching. We do the same thing with the word church. We've heard many times that church is not the building, but church is the body or the people. Yet, if I asked you this morning in your driveway where you are heading to, you'd probably say church, meaning Stone Oak Elementary School. Or if you accidentally leave something here after the service, and you say, oh goodness, I've left my Bible in church. You're referring to the actual building, although we understand that the church is not the actual building, but it is the people, but our language has not changed. Uh, prayer is worship. Worship is active. If you walk out of here hearing one thing today, let it be this. Your role here on Sunday morning is active. Let's go to the obvious aspect of worship, and that's what we just finished, music. This is led by Brandon. However, you have an active role in it. It's one of the only times you'll get to lift up your voice in a corporate manner of worship and praise to our God. You should be actively worshiping during our times of worship. This can look very different, though. For some of you, your activity in this time of worship is accomplished through uh, loud singing. Praise God for you. For others, though, you're actively engaged with the music through a time of introspection. You're listening to the words being sung around you. 
you're hearing the gospel proclaimed through melody and are actively searching your own heart. Praise God for you. Both parties are active in their worship. Be active in music. Sing loud. Sing loud, church. Be loud whenever you're introspectively even searching your own heart. Let's look at how you're active right now. So I am currently the only one speaking. It's obvious that I am currently active within sermon. However, you as well are currently active. I've seen many of you being active during my sermon. Many of you are Bible writers. I don't understand you. I am not a Bible writer. As we go through the text, though, you write notes throughout your Bibles. I've noticed some of you are Bible writers, but I notice a lot of you are notebook writers. You'll bring your Bible and you'll bring your notebook. So you, you then are engaged through the sermon by writing down notes either in your Bible or in your notebook. If I can just make a quick plug right here, uh, I'm a Bible guy. I love Bibles. Uh, I have many different types and styles of Bibles. I, I've started to almost collect them, if you would. Uh, there is a Bible type, maybe you're not aware of, that merges both of these worlds from the Bible aspect to the notebook aspect. They're often called, called journaling Bibles or wide margin Bibles. So if you are a, uh, choosing to not be a Bible writer because there's not enough space, feel free to look at one of those, and you have plenty of room. Some of them are even lined over on the side. So if you're a detail person, uh, you also have lines that you can walk through. We also have some free Bibles in the back. Uh, if you'd like one, feel free to take one of those with you. You can write in it. You can choose to not write in it. It is absolutely yours. For others of you, though, you're not writing at all. You're not writing in your Bible. You're not writing in your notebook. This does not mean that you are not actively engaged in the sermon, though. Possibly you're thinking of additional questions that you'd like answered. Maybe you're making a summary statement of, of what is being said, a continual progressive summary of the entire sermon. Possibly you've heard something proclaimed here, and it causes you to once again examine your own heart. There's also a difference here between listening and hearing. I want to be someone that isn't just hearing the word of God, but is listening to the word of God actively. The book of James picks up on this idea. James 1, through 25 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer he acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Some of our groups, some of our community groups, discuss the sermon throughout the week. The groups that choose to do this uh, have a, a little bit of a different activity level whenever the sermon is being preached. The group leader typically is more focused in, and has to be thinking about what questions do I want to to discuss, or what topics is our, is our group going to walk through. You can also tell whenever you're in these group settings and if you're going through the group questions, who was there, who was serving in kids, who was active on Sunday mornings and listening, and who is simply filling a chair on Sunday mornings. It's oftentimes coming up in these responses and thoughts during the community group where you can see, I was actively engaged or I wasn't actively engaged. The last piece of worship that we do here on Sunday mornings is prayer. 
when an individual is up here on stage corporately praying, you have an active role. For some of you, that active role is to take a 30-second nap, nap. If we have a 30-minute prayer, there's definitely a 30-minute nap in there. For others of you, your active role is to watch fireworks. This is what I used to do as a kid. Have you ever pressed on your eyes so hard that you begin to see fireworks? I don't suggest you do this or else you end up like Mr. Michael Kraft and you'll have to probably get some retinal surgery done. Um, but that's not quite the active that I'm talking about. So what is your role in corporate prayer when you aren't the one that's praying? Your role is the same whenever you're listening to the music and to the sermon. Hear the gospel being proclaimed through prayer. Examine your own heart. Pray internally as corporate prayer is being said. Look with me, if you will, at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 is the place where we can find uh, one of the instances of the Lord's Prayer. Many of you might have grown up in a faith tradition that uh, said the Lord's Prayer on a, a constant basis. One of the interesting things about this text and what spurs Jesus on to say the Lord's Prayer is found here in Luke chapter, one, or Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It's a question from one of his disciples that came from a prayer of Jesus. Verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. This disciple here was actively listening to the prayer of Jesus. And it caused him to evaluate his own prayer life. He wanted some guidance here in his own prayers. Your role during corporate prayer is not to check out and to disengage, but to actively be involved in prayer. Your role is to actively be involved in worship. Prayer is worship. Worship is active. Therefore, prayer is active. Each week, a group of us get together on Tuesdays to discuss the upcoming text. Uh, this past Tuesday, as we sat in the room uh, discussing the sermon that you're hearing right now, I proposed a question. So what would a church look like or what would a church be doing for you to walk in there and then walk away from that church and say, this is a church that is dedicated to prayer? What would that church look like? For you to leave and say, this church is a church that I absolutely believe is founded and understands the doctrine of prayer, that they are a, a people who uh, love to pray. Think through this question with me. What about the other aspects of worship even? What would a church be doing that makes you believe they're active and dedicated to the worship of God? What about within your own life? Would people around you say that you are active and dedicated to prayer? Let's all stop here. We're going to pray. I figure on a sermon dealing with prayer, it's probably a good thing that we pray. This isn't the end of the sermon. Don't get too excited. Lunch is still waiting. But I just want you to have a quick moment of prayer. Bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask here that we confess our desire to be more active in our worship of God. Confess to him a desire for your life to be marked by worship. I'll give you time to pray as individuals, then I'll close this corporately.
Father God, I pray that we would be a people, that we would be a church that is dedicated to worshiping you. Father, our, our lives would be, would be a, a blessing and an offering to you, Father. Lord, I pray that as individuals and as a corporate body that, that our prayers, Lord, would be a, a pleasing aroma to you, Lord. Father, we confess our desire to be a praying people. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. The active aspect of prayer is what leads us to our second point. Prayer is discipleship. Notice in that same verse here of Luke chapter 11, what it caused the the disciple here to do. It has spurred him to be more like Jesus. In this case specifically, he wants to pray like Jesus prays. This is discipleship. A simple prayer from Jesus has caused this disciple to yearn to be like his master. It's a side effect of corporate prayer. Our goal is slightly different than Christ's. Our prayers, our hope is not that they want to be more like us and resemble us and our prayers. Our hope is that by proclaiming Christ, we are spurring one another on to be more like Christ. Think through this question with me. In corporate prayer, is the audience God, the people listening, or both? I would argue that it's both. If we look at Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 30, it's a great passage here as we get to see the corporate aspect of prayer and we get to see the results of the corporate aspect of prayer. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 through 30, it'll be on the screens. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear... He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's one of the aspects where you never know who might be listening. Paul and Silas are here in prison, and they're praying, and they're singing. This is corporate worship. And it's done to God, but there's a bystander. There's another audience, and that's the individual surrounding them. A mighty event takes place here, and the prison doors are opened. Paul and Silas, though, do not run, and the jailer spares his own life. Then he asks, the jailer asks the softball question, what must I do to be saved? A disciple has just been made. This came because of the corporate nature of prayer and of music. The jailer was active in this prayer and heard the truth of the gospel being proclaimed. Prayer can be a tool of teaching and of preaching. This is one reason that our prayers should be biblically sound and gospel-saturated. This doesn't mean that our prayers must be polished or performances, though. Sometimes the simplest of prayers can have the greatest impact. If you think of the story found in Mark chapter 9, it's telling of a man whose son has had an unclean spirit in him from birth. And the father here approaches Christ and asks him to help him. 
Christ responds that he can if the man will believe. The man offers up the simplest of prayers in this moment. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. It's such a simple prayer, but it's immensely powerful. It is not polished. It is not perfect. God, help me in my unbelief. This is a prayer that I have prayed many times. There have been times where I know the correct thing about God, but it has not transferred to my heart or to my actions. God, help me with my unbelief. To get personal for a second, I struggle immensely with prayer. I struggle at times with the idea that God can care enough for me personally as an individual to care about my prayers. Because I struggle with the idea of a personal and loving God at times, it's no wonder that I struggle with prayer. God, help me in my unbelief. One of the simplest tools of evangelism is prayer. Try this next time you sit down at a restaurant. Ask your server if you can pray for them. I have rarely met anyone who turns this down. When you pray, pray the gospel. You simply thank God for what he has done for you through Christ. Proclaim the message of how Christ has redeemed you from your own death and has given you his life. Pray the glorious doctrine of salvation. You're speaking to God, but you're also proclaiming the gospel to everyone listening. Prayer is a huge tool for discipleship. We have a couple of community groups that have a heavy focus on prayer. Each of these groups, though, practice discipleship through prayer. Have you ever prayed with someone who's gone through a terrible situation? You expect their prayer to be a time of mourning or possibly a lament. Yet, their prayer is one of joy and complete reliance upon God. They've just shown their their complete dependence upon God in a time where you would expect them to be bitter or even angry towards God. This is discipleship. They've just expressed their own prayers to God, and it's been a teaching lesson to you. Praise God. Because prayer is a tool for discipleship, there's application for both the one praying as well as for the one listening. If you are praying, remember your audience. Your audience is first and foremost God, but there are also others listening. When I pray with my kids, my language that I use is much different. I want them to hear me praying to God in a way that they can understand, yet my message to God is the same. It's my hope that my children will hear my prayers and their little hearts will be turned towards God. Don't forsake a time of discipleship and miss the opportunity that you have in prayer. Prayer is more than an introduction and a conclusion. Oftentimes, how do do most pastors end their service? Let's pray. And that's their conclusion. It's a whole lot more than just a conclusion. Your Bible study does not begin when you open the books. It begins much, much earlier. For the listener, don't go into the automatic mode. Stay engaged with the prayer. Listen for lessons or for actions for yourself. Listen for times you're in agreement with what is being spoken. Be active in your listening. Possibly pray alongside of the individual praying. Possibly even pray for the individual that is praying. Prayer is discipleship. The content of your prayers is important to God and to those around you. Would people around you 
say that your prayer life is a tool for discipleship? Are your prayers centered around the gospel? Take a minute and pray in your seat individually once again. Bow your heads with me. Confess to God your desire to have a gospel-saturated prayer life. Confess to God your desire for God to use your own prayer life to minister to those around you. I'll close this in a minute. Heavenly Father, as we have professed our desire, Lord, to be an active and praying people, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of our role within discipleship and our role of prayer within discipleship specifically, Lord. Father, I pray that we would be bold prayer warriors, Lord, that we would continually proclaim the name of Christ and the gospel, Lord, through our prayers. Lord, I pray that you would bring those around us who are far from you, and that our prayers, Father, could proclaim the gospel in a way, Lord, that, that causes their hearts to turn to you. Father, thank you for prayer. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to speak to you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Let's look at our content now as it drives us to our last point. Prayer is reliant. Why is it that many of us struggle with prayer? Why is it that prayer services are low attended? Why is it that our prayer life seems to rely so heavily upon bad, traumatic, or urgent events? I feel it's because we've lost the reliance in prayer. They say that if you want to make your congregation feel terrible and guilty, then you preach on three things, giving, evangelism, and prayer. Just so you know, I'm about to cover two in one step, you've been warned. We've lost a reliance upon our mission through prayer and we have lost the reliance upon prayer for our mission. Our mission is clear. We are given a command, make disciples. How we accomplish this mission at times can be murky, and it will be different for each one of us. I feel as though our prayer meetings and prayer within the Western Church of today is faltering because we've lost our mission. Our prayer lives have consisted of minors instead of majors, you want to pray for sickness and illness, that is fine, and there's a place to pray for these things. Oftentimes, however, this is the majority of our prayer lives. Instead of praying for the symptoms, let's pray for the cause of sin. Let's pray for our mission as the church to spread the news of the gospel. Let's pray for our mission as individuals to spread the love of Christ amongst those. Oftentimes, throughout church history, What's driven people to their knees are traumatic events and persecution. This is good that when bad things happen, we pray. However, there's much more that we can pray for. Let me get practical for a second. We are a church plant. Uh, for, for those of you that don't know our history, we've been established here in this, this school uh, for right around 21 months now. We're still young as a church, but things are beginning to transition and beginning to change. When we first began as a church plant, there was a reliance upon everyone. Whenever I say everyone, I mean 
everyone. We had to have everyone stepping in to help us. Everyone felt needed. Everyone had a place, and they were eager to jump in with both feet. If that did not occur, we would not be here today. Some of the people around you, in fact, were some of those original people that we began with. We, we began with something called Roots. We met in a youth room uh, at a church here in Stone Oak up north uh, on every other week uh, for about 12 sessions, I believe is what it was. Uh, we walked through our core values as a church and what we were hoping that this church would be. It was very clear in that room that we needed help from everyone there for this church to begin and to continue. This meant we needed financial help. This meant that we needed to be praying. This meant that we need physical help as well. We needed bodies to, to help with what we see here today. Things have slowly changed for us as a church, though. And right now, I'd say we're at a very critical point as a church today. We're, we're moving from that church plant feeling into the established church feeling. And don't get me wrong, this is a great thing. We're excited to become an established church. The problem, however, comes whenever we lose that sense of urgency. You can look around and see others are pulling the weight, so you might not feel like you're needed. Let me tell you right now, church, you are needed. In every avenue of service within this church, you are needed. Don't lose sight of our mission as a church. Our mission is to make disciples. Our mission is accomplished through you, the church. Let me give you a hypothetical situation here. If today, everyone who is across the way over there serving in kids' ministry were to become ill with a highly contagious and debilitating sickness that kept them out of kids' ministry for two months. First of all, I get a call from Sandra, and she would be very upset with me for even saying that. Uh, but we, as a church, would be in trouble. We would have to make phone calls. We would have to send out emails. We'd have to make the personal contacts with you as the church to express this urgent need. Everybody that we had that was scheduled to serve this coming Sunday is now sick and under the weather, and they are unable to step in. We need people then to step in to fill those positions. Let's say that during this week, every vehicle that we have that currently pulls our trailer, we have a church trailer out in the far corner of the parking lot. If you haven't seen it, just look out there on the far corner, big white trailer. That brings in everything that you see before you, to, to make this a church as much as we can, from uh, the TVs to the sound equipment to all of our children's ministry. Let's say that every vehicle that we have that pulls that trailer from just down the road suddenly gets that water pump demon. We have no vehicles now to pull our trailer. Once again, we'd be hurting. We'd have to make some phone calls. We'd have to contact all of you as the church to see who could step in and could assist us in this role. People oftentimes wait for the urgent or the great need before they step in. Let me tell you, there's an urgent and there's a great need. I would love for every one of our teams to be so full that I hear complaints of people not getting to serve enough. We don't need to wait for the catastrophe before we engage. It's the same with prayer. We don't need to wait for the horrific tragedy before we go to our knees. We already have a horrific tragedy at hand that requires us to constantly be upon our knees. This tragedy, though, has become something that's oftentimes overlooked. It's the tragedy of sin. God's mission for the remedy is Christ. And Christ uses the church here to proclaim the good news of this mission. Church, we need you 
to continually be in prayer for our mission. Although our own sickness and ailments are burdensome, there's a greater burden which abounds. Our mission, though, is not reliant upon us. Our mission is reliant upon God. As a local body of the church, our prayer should be devoted to our mission. We are all part of the mission to make disciples, and it is through corporate prayer that we remind one another of our mission. Mission drift is something that can happen so easily. And it should be prevalent within our corporate prayers that we are focused upon our mission. It's very easy to become frustrated and disappointed with our mission. Dealing with people is tough. Dealing with sinful people is even harder. One of the glorious aspects of corporate prayer, though, is that it reminds us that our hope doesn't lie in us as individuals. Through corporate prayer, we're reminded of this fact. And we're reminded that the mission is not to be accomplished alone. One of the last things that Christ says before he ascends into heaven is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He lets us know here within this text where the power to spread the gospel comes from. It isn't found within us as individuals, and praise God that it's not. It's found instead in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as we need a reminder that we have the all-powerful, ever-present Spirit of God, we also need the reminder that there are fellow believers with us in the trenches. Prayer is reliant upon our mission, and our mission is reliant upon prayer. As we begin 2017, I want you to look forward. I want to have a time of prayer this morning. I want you to look inward and to also look at the corporate aspect of prayer. In a couple of weeks, we're going to gather as the church to have a prayer meeting. We're going to do this at Dan Langham's house. We'll have details coming for you. Begin to pray for this, though. Just as people set goals for health and for finances and other things at the beginning of the year, I'm going to ask you to set a goal with your prayer life and the prayer life at Stone Oak Bible Church. Everyone bow your head with me as we approach the throne of grace. At the end of this year, what do you hope your prayer life would look like? For some of you, it might be that you're more active within your personal prayer life. For others, it might be that you're more active in your public prayers and possibly pray out loud in a group for the very first time. Possibly it's that your prayers move from the symptoms of sin to praying for God to use you to proclaim the gospel. Maybe it's a renewing and reminding of what your individual mission is within your family, within your work. Asking this time to pray for our church. Pray that we would be a community of active believers on mission to proclaim the name of Christ and to make disciples. Pray that we would be a church that relies upon prayer to fuel our mission. Father, we come to before you this morning, Lord, and Lord, we are grateful that you are an active God. 
Father, we thank you for the opportunity to approach the throne of grace, Lord. We ask, Lord, that we would be a church that is active in our prayers. We ask, Lord, that we would be a church that is discipling, discipling others also through prayer, Father. Father, I pray that we would be a people that are constantly reliant upon you to fuel our mission. That our mission of making disciples is never lost upon us as a church, Lord, and that we are intricately connected to you through prayer for this accomplishing of the mission, Lord. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for Christ's death upon the cross, Lord. Thank you for, for giving us life through this, Lord. Father, I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would be a people that are committed to the gospel, Lord. That would be a people that are committed to prayer. Father, we pray this in your son's holy name. Amen.